0: Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Flex This. Uh, Before we get into the meat of the the podcast, I just want to preface that this conversation has a lot of adult content. Um, There might be some stories and themes that might be triggering for some folks and language. So be mindful of the time and space that which that you're listening to this, both mentally, emotionally and physically. And if you have tiny humans around, it's probably not best for them to listen. So... Without further ado, excited to share this conversation I had with Maddie. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Flex This. I have Maddie back on with me, and I'm really excited because um, we're going to get into a single topic. I haven't done a deep dive in season two, and we're doing one in season three, and we're going to talk about women's issues and the impact it has on our economy. Um, So thank you for being here, Maddie. Of course. Happy to be
1: back. I appreciate it. And I'm excited to talk about this stuff. It's very important.
0: Yeah. So let's give some context of what brought up this conversation to begin with. So when Maddie and I talked, Texas just passed a law around abortion um, that impacts women because it is very strict and stringent at a time period when most women don't even realize that they're pregnant and how problematic that is. And so... I want to give some context of where the conversation started and where we're at in the universe of time. If you're listening to this in 2030 and you're like, what are these people talking about? None of this is relevant. I hope that's true. I'm, I'm putting that into the future. <laughs> Please. <laughs> oh, God. Can we, can we disrupt the system? So let's get into it, Maddie. Economic issues. Well, let me say it this way. Women's issues, women's rights, when they are removed is an economic issue. And for you, what does that mean in your world? When you look at it, how you're seeing everything happening in Texas, we're talking about how terrible family leave is for American women. And we're the worst of a wealthiest country, number one ranked, to be honest, lowest amount of paid family leave for women and folks in, in general. But what does that mean to you and how does that impact your world? Yeah, no, no, it's a great question. I think for me,
1: what when we talk about, pretty much all of the challenges that women face. And I don't want to be, let me just specify first. I don't want to be overly harsh, you know, trying to say that necessarily I have a difficult time living as a woman in the world. I really don't. I like, I want to be fair about that. And I, -hmm. I, that, you know, almost certainly has to do with my privileged stature as I grew up middle upper-class white woman, Um, but that doesn't necessarily change objective facts, right? And so when we look at some of these issues and we're seeing the state of the economy post COVID. We're seeing the state of the economy, um, like you're saying, with no paid family leave law federally at all. So you mm-hmm. might be able to get that through your job. Um, and we still have a wage gap, when a gender, you know, pay gap. And um, yeah, and Texas just passed this heartbeat bill. I guess you could really call it. Which I, you know, would just add that. Texas was the first state to be successful, which is why it's a big deal. Um, just this week, probably yesterday, the day before the Supreme court finally just said that they're going to hear this case and they want to do it on November 1st. So maybe we'll update the show notes after that, to, you know, depending on what happens, but this is all relevant to basically how we come to understand our place in the world. And, um, you know, There's just something to be said, and you never know to the extent to which something subconsciously affects you. Um, But when women through these policies are kind of subtly told throughout your lifetime that, hey, you know, we don't really value, we say that we do, right? But we don't really value what it means for you to carry a child and Mm -hmm. what that does to you physically, Um, We're also not going to give you time off once you birth the child, whichever way, whether it's a C-section or naturally or whatever. Um, You know, we're hoping you'll be back to work in about six weeks. And I would just like to add as a now 30 year old person who has friends who have had children. um, I'd like to think that birth is almost always traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I've heard more traumatic birth stories than I have like non-traumatic birth stories. And I, I am starting to believe that that's just because we never really got full stories before, yeah, um, but people share them on YouTube and stuff. So we just know that these are like very, very significant issues. And so when you feel kind of no sympathy from your government or sometimes even your workplace, depending on where, where you work, because people who are working minimum wage jobs, you think they're definitely not getting maternity leave. Right. right. Um, It just starts to tell you that like we really say that we want you to repopulate the world and the country but we're not really going to help you at all and Mm -hmm. then if you complain about it we're going to call it your problem um so you know i don't want to ramble for too long at the beginning but i'll just i'll just wrap this up to say if anybody you know paid attention to twitter last week you have a lot of to be fair these are republican men or conservative men making fun of pete Buttigieg for taking paternity leave with his brand new twin babies. Um, and honestly, I don't internalize a lot, but like if you think somebody called Pete, can I, I could swear on it. We swore on the yeah. last one. Somebody called Pete a pussy for taking paternity leave. And if that's what you think about paternity leave, like, then I really know what you think about women. Right. And it's not, you're not pro-life. You can't tell me you're pro-life if you think paternity leave is weakness. Right. So I guess I, we're both probably going to have to you know, take breaks to make sure we don't get too riled up on this issue. Mm-mm. I'm already hot, my face is
0: <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, So first, let's talk pro-life. What does pro-life mean? You can't pick and choose what pro-life means. Pro-life means if you are for the baby that you supposedly say this is about in this bill, that also means you need to be pro-life for the people you have in prison, for the children that go hungry every day because they were born into a system that doesn't support their their family to be able to put food on their table. You have to think about the elderly that can't get the in-home care. Like Pro-life means the whole spectrum of life, not where you get to pick and choose where you feel like you're uncomfortable and don't like what somebody needs to do and second of all it's not your damn body or decision sorry but come on that's like the part that makes me like literally smash panda like I don't know if you know the meme but the panda that smashes the computer like literally that's what I think. that's feel. an old one <laughs> <laughs> I, I or the meme it's a gif um I literally live by that gif I think pretty much if you were to sum up 2020 which is basically 2020, 2021, probably gonna go into 2022. We'll just all call it 2020, the the three-year 2020. Um, it is Smash Panda, just perpetual smash panda. And I think this is, you know, I am a silver lining person. So I will say the gift of COVID forced us to look at how we treat women, forced us to look at teachers. How do how how many teachers aren't supported. I mean, there is gifts inside of this chaos that allows us to look at things much more broadly, to be able to look at a system under a microscope. And and I think the beautiful part about social media is you can't turn away from it anymore. And I do think that's part of what segregates us because I think people get so paralyzed that they don't know what step to take. So it's easier to just make absolute statements and pick your corner and stay there and just punch fists out so that no, you know, back yourself in and just don't come near me. But let's talk about it. Like, let's talk about all these layers, because it isn't just abortion. It isn't just about pro-life. There's so many issues inside of the attacks on women's rights in general. You are, let's just think Trump era. And I think about the Women's March. I think about this gentleman who said, I'm not even gonna call him a gentleman, this human being that um, identifies as a male, says, grab them by the pussy. And that somehow is normalized and okay. What are you telling boys? What are you telling society? And you know, this was not that I wanted to be an argument, but when people are like, Oh, he's a good businessman, blah, blah, blah. And I and I'm like, is he though? The other part is can we talk about, would you let your daughter date somebody that thought that way? But he can run our country. But you you would let somebody talk to your daughter that way? Like, I don't know. I just feel like these, these can't be one side or the other conversations. Like, saying one thing impacts a multitude of things. And specifically in this case, women. It makes it okay to abuse women. It makes it okay to be for these ideas of women and then to go back to what you're saying is the value of what you're saying a woman can do is to birth but no support inside of that birth Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i think um i think grabbing by the pussy is a great place to start because (laughs) i my big take like the big thing that i'm concerned with particularly in this in this episode is to just to draw attention to the just very subtle nuance of some of these issues so I think uh something that come out of just you know living among social media is that we think very black and white Mm -hmm. and that has just become so extreme you know in the kind of political divide that has now happened again I would normally have said in the last five years but really it's the last year like since 2020 because now we're seeing that with all sorts of things so you know real quick to go back to pro-life uh if you're gonna say you're pro-life you should also be willing to wear a mask you should also be Mm -hmm. willing to get a vaccine for a deadly global pandemic virus Mm -hmm. but we'll leave that alone for right now but basically like when i think of grabbing by the pussy which i distinctly remember that day and i remember being like there's no way there's no way he can win now like there's no way we would not allow a video like that to come out and i remember saturday night live because i people don't even watch this anymore but i watch it every week saturday night live <laughs> that weekend had a sketch like you know where kate mckinnon was playing hillary and she was just ecstatic and like was like throwing a party because we all were under the same impression that like nobody could win the presidency after saying that and i think that calling it the you know what was his defense it was locker room talk and all the white men around him all the republican white men around him wanted to call, they said guys, it happens all the time. It's locker room talk. When we talk about, you know, we defend something like that by saying it's just locker room talk in the sense that, you know, it's supposed to allow us to dismiss it. Um, You're basically telling men that they don't really have to evolve past age, you know, 13 or 14, Um, that there aren't any expectations for them to become really anything different. And at the same time, the other thing that I always draw upon too, is that, um, and forgive me, I don't remember the woman's name that's in that video, the one that they're talking about, but you know, she kind of, what makes me cringe watching that is how she is laughing and kind of trying to like be in on the joke with them, but it's not a hundred percent comfortable. And I think that most women can, can relate to that where, Um, you know, hopefully it was when you were younger, but not, that might not be the case, but when you're in an uncomfortable situation, you know, we tend to be socialized to just kind of on a practical sense. It's like, Oh, you know, just don't make people feel awkward or don't be confrontational or, you know, just kind of go with the joke. Yeah. And then in the, in the extreme end, there's also, Hey, you know, if you offend a man, like you could be in a situation that is dangerous, depending, we've seen those stories where somebody, you know, rejects somebody at the bar and then he follows her outside and injures her, kills her or something. Like those are real stories too. So I just, you know, that, I think that is a good example, probably for the rest of history that where we're just embodying how we allow, we allow women to kind of take on that submissive role that I think is, is, is not really real, but is, is real in the sense that it's manifested through those social interactions that we have. And I think it's normal probably for those interactions to happen when you're young, when you're a kid, you're in school, but that's also when we should be teaching boys, you know, that you can't, you can't say that to a girl or it's disrespectful or make sure you have Mm -hmm. respect for her. And we, at the same time, then we're teaching girls too, you know, like it's okay for you to, to confront somebody and make him feel, you know, awkward for a moment. If it means that he maybe won't repeat that behavior. I just don't think there's a lot of that going on, you know?
0: For sure. Maybe with the new generation. Maybe. But I mean, I remember growing up, a little boy trips you. He likes you. Like, what? Like, that's (laughs) like, oh, he's mean to you. He must like you. Like, what? Why did we normalize that? No wonder people get in domestic relationships and they're like, how did she stay for so long? We told her that being abused, essentially, verbally, physically, however, meant he likes you. Yep. How many times Absolutely. have you heard that story? God, that's so stupid. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's totally well, how that. all my functioning relationships work. I I'm mean to you. So therefore I love you more. I know. And, and it, we don't really see that. And you, you might need to give me, if this
1: is just maybe a heterosexual thing, but we don't really see that in other places in our, in our lives, where we're accepting bad behavior from other people, you know you, like within your family or whatever and you're explicitly being told like this is good it's mm-hmm. only really i've only ever seen it in that kind of heterosexual di- like social dynamic and I, the other half of that too i was just thinking about this the other day actually i was going to text the girl who was involved in this because I, I wonder if she remembers but i remember distinctly being in seventh grade being at my locker and my friend was like a few lockers down and she was reaching to get like a folder or something and I just remember this group of boys, there were probably two or three of them came over and slapped her ass Mm. and keep in mind, we're like 12, 12, 13. And like, that was the first, and she just kind of like whipped around and, you know, screamed his name, but it was kind of still like playfully. And I just, I don't know why it sticks with me, but it was like, it, I just remember being like, Oh, like those are the interactions that we're having with each other now. Like now that boys are willing to show that they like girls, like it's, that, mm. which now in 2021, as especially as adults, of course, but like, we understand that is sexual harassment, if not assault, like after me too. Um, I think society, at least for the most part has come to redefine some of those things. Um, so yeah, sometimes I think about that and I'm like, I wonder if, if that has trickled down yet.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's valid. And I can even feel like myself, my initial reaction is all the things that have been learned in our culture of like, yeah, that's what you do—you slap somebody in the ass. And like, I know what. I'm. Mean, it's interesting, and I don't know if you experience this of like feeling the cultural norm with what is actually true, and in the single moment with both being like that's inappropriate and yes, that and at the same time can understand how it was quote unquote normal in that moment. Do you know what I mean? Like, how you mm-hmm. can you flirt with this weird duality of like, yeah, I totally get like not get, but like you feel both sides in the same instance, right? Like the, the need to unpack the, um, how that was like, like we were saying about the, oh, now we're in that era where this is what flirting is. And like mm-hmm. knowing that innately and like, you know, whenever age that it is for you of realizing, oh, this is how we're just going to interact with each other now. And this is okay. And yet feeling like that seems like we shouldn't be doing that, but yet this is what we're all doing.
1: <laughs> well, and, and I would even elevate that too, to say that there's the two reactions that I can remember feeling in a number of situations is like, you feel your, your true self's reaction, which might be like horror or, un, you know, discomfort, yeah. but then you have your kind of social reaction. So, yeah. you know, giving middle school stories at this point, but I also, the first time I ever got cat called, I was 13. I was going into a restaurant to meet my friends. My mom had dropped me off, which kind of makes this story like interesting normally the social s- story that we're told is that like dads don't like it when their daughters get old enough, but it was my mom there to witness it. And this group of kids, they probably were in high school. They drove past in a convertible and just honked the horn and didn't say anything this time, you know, didn't say anything crude, just kind of like waved. And I remember my mom was like, Oh my God, I can't believe like this is happening now. Like I'm old enough now that I'm getting a cat called, but I just remember in those moments, it's like, immediately i feel uncomfortable but then i also recognize that socially that kind of means i've arrived in yeah. some kind of way yeah because that's the those and those social narratives are the ones that are fed to us and, and not just you know in our circles but also on television and kind of just how mm-hmm. you like think about 90s teen movies or like early 2000s teen movies like there's just so much to unpack there if you i highly recommend anybody listening to this if you haven't watched like uh she's all that in a while mm-hmm. or like american pie <laughs> You need to go recheck those out and be like, and just in the context of now, like 2021, be like, wow, I can't believe this is what we grew up on.
0: Yeah. Or like the lies of like, most rom-coms i actually hate mm-hmm. rom-coms they just make me i used to love them i used to have all these dvds do you remember when blockbuster had like the five for 25 of like they guaranteed certain oh, yeah. movies when they came out so you could get 25 dvds and you felt like rad because you got all these movies like you want to watch a movie i have them all in dvd blockbuster and i my partner and i actually i think last year we have all these stupid cases, and we're like, let's let's just get rid of all these cases. And which is a weird millennial thing of like, why would we get rid of the cases? What are we gonna know? How are we gonna know what they are? Like, um, if you read the DVD, Jen, <laughs> it was like getting they rid put of it on b- there for you. <laughs> But you remember CD cases? Like it was like a big deal to have to get rid of them. You're like, I don't know if I really want to get rid of them. Like, how am I gonna know what it is? How am I gonna organize anyway? But going through and I was like, why did I buy this? This is trash. <laughs> like, why did I ever like this movie? Also trash. And it just you look at the things that we've normalized and we're like, oh gross. And you know, I think even some of the hetero stuff transfers over to you know gay relationships, at least speaking for me, of like we learn to like chase what we can't have and that's how you know like wrangling somebody in like that's like a like where fucking cattle to be in a relationship is like oh you help them settle down like some of those narratives still transfer over to gay relationships I mean I don't it might not be exactly the same but I think we still have those stories you know we want the Cinderella story and we think that we can have it and I mean it's a lot more complex because you know especially because we couldn't even get married legally, people weren't, you know, doing mm-hmm. surprise, getting down on Winnies knees and, you know, finding Prince Charming or your Princess Charming, whatever. But if you look at how we uh, share the, the human story, specifically the a story of a woman, just all the ways that we don't tell it holistically, you know, I think about James Bond movies, we, what was the singular role of that female? I think about, um, yeah, um, yeah, just how we talk about women and share about women. It's almost like an it's like we're an entity to have and to control versus being humanized. And I think, well, that, and if oh, I
1: could, so go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say if I could add a complex dimension to that um is and i to me and you know being a social sciences person i think one of the most fascinating kind of um i guess ideologies you could call it is feminism in kind of the variety of perspectives so i agree with you and i think that there is an objective kind of distillation that you can make where it's like hey regardless of what you're view on feminism, maybe, or your take on it, we do tend to present women as, you know, it's a, they're most appropriate when they're submissive, they're mm. most appropriate when they're available, but now in the last, and I always forget which wave it is. Maybe it's, I think it's third wave feminism where sexuality is also something to be aimed though. Mm-hmm. And so we have the challenge. So I bring up hip hop a minute ago because like, I'm thinking of the Nelly tip drill video that is you know, <laughs> notorious where he slides a credit card down the woman's ass crack. And it's like, that's her role in that thing. Um, but in that video, but at the same time, now we have Meg the stallion and now we have Cardi B and, and there's a, and Nicki Minaj, of course, where, where the, a woman's sexuality is kind of being owned by her. And so I guess, you know, if mm. I had to bury it, like kind of like put that in a nice package with a bow, I just want women to be able to live their lives, however they want, like, which brings us kind of back to our original point with what it is to be pro-choice. And there is kind of like, a um, again, back to the, you know, some, there, there are things. And I think that what that means is just Recognizing that abortion is healthcare and abortion, but at the same time, I kind of prefer myself to stay more around a pro-choice message, just because. Again, I recognize that a variety of perspectives of feminism. There are women who believe that, um, who you know, believe that. I guess there are pro-life, and I don't understand that personally, but I understand that you as a you as an individual might not want to get an abortion. That's your choice. So I want to keep. I like pro-choice language for that reason, because I don't want anybody to feel like they have to accept abortion because we're not trying to put our you know our beliefs on other people it's more just recognizing that you don't get to choose for me right what happens to me right and so and from that I'll kind of I'd like to be able to just kind of give my own story with this and this is part of why when Jen and I were talking last time why this is is not only obviously it's an important issue, but it's also very personal to me because I myself, and I've never actually told this story. I mean, I've told it to my like close associates, but I've never told it in any platform or social media that I myself have had an abortion before. And if you remember, if you listen to our last episode together, I am also a PhD student right now. I'm also, you know, 30 years old, still childless right now. And I can attribute all of that and everything that I am today, all of the, all of that self-actualization and kind of living my authenticity think about if I had actually been 24 years old and living in you know the 2021 era of Texas and I wouldn't have been able to get the abortion that I wanted my life would look completely different yeah totally different and I actually it's ironically I happen to know two women who had babies the same, literally like the same, like two week period that if I had gone through with my pregnancy, that I, that we would have had kids grow up together. So as I watch their children get older, I kind of can like, like, huh, my kid would be like five at this point, like six, I like guess turning six this year. Um, and the importance of me sharing the story is just because again, I want to add nuance to these things. Mm-hmm. So people feel very strongly about abortion, but they Usually I think people have the strongest opinions, like either don't know anybody who's had one, they haven't had one themselves, so they don't really know what it's like to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. And so I guess just to back up, I'll just say that for my particular story, I had been in a relationship, I think we had almost been four years at the time, um that this happened. And I actually, funnily enough, I kind of know exactly when this happened because I had had a car accident that summer. And so my car was in the shop. And so I like, I had my boyfriend and I were long distance and I only got to see him one time in like a 10 week period. So it was very obvious when this happened. And it was kind of, One of those situations where like we weren't entirely careful but at the same time like it's again we have been together for so long like you you are just kind of disarmed when you're with that person so granted like i take it as one of those things where like we weren't super i had been off of birth control for a few weeks i forget why but um we just like you know you just don't think it's going to happen to you and that's another thing that goes into the abortion conversation is like people don't think And the younger we are, this is more likely like you just are invincible. You don't think it's going to happen to you. If it does, you're like, okay, we'll cross that bridge and we come to it. Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you after four weeks of heartburn that I had never had before, I was like, I think there's something going on here. So um, turns out that I had actually, yes, I was pregnant and I very quickly, you know, it's like a devastating thing to learn when you know that you're not ready to have a child or you don't want to have a child. But the other thing that goes into it like, again, this abortion conversation is you, it's done, you're there. So like, can you just imagine, you know, if you're a man or you're a woman who's never had one, like imagine you can't undo it and you're in this circumstance and your life can look like so many different things. And are you, you know, think about being, think about having no options Mm. like Texas and what that would feel like to know that not only. Does, you know, a child come out of this, but it's also has such implications for the next 10 months of my life. So that was my big thing is I had just started a job. Um, I guess like four months before. And I knew that like my, I think my healthcare didn't kick in for three months or something. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have any leave saved up. Cause I was brand new, I was 24 years old, brand new employee. Actually I had just turned 24, like the month before. So just the impact of those things on this momentous decision and where there's so little sympathy for women that are in this position is just like, Hey, yeah, maybe she made a mistake. Maybe we weren't careful, but like, I'm sorry. Like, what do you want me to do? Right? Like, but we don't want to, why would we want to punish a woman in this situation? So Mm -hmm. I'm already here. It's already happened. Like Help me out. So I went to Planned Parenthood. Um, again, I had just started working. I did not have a lot of money. And I also though, because I had a job, like didn't qualify for any sort of financial aid, which is fine. Cause again, I recognize being a privileged person in the situation. Um, but to pay for that, I think it was like $500 and my boyfriend was going to help me pay for it. He, I won't put him on blast, but like, so he ended up having a situation where he ended up having like no money to spare that t- around that time. He also was gonna try to come with me when I had the abortion, end up not being able to be like possible, financially and otherwise. And so I ended up doing it myself. I went myself, and this is where this is where the six weeks gets relevant. Okay, and I promise I won't drag the story out much longer. But I had had an, an IUD placed four days after I returned from this weekend where this conception happened. So again, I had been off birth control, but the plan was to always be on birth control. So I had this appointment set for probably like months to get an IUD mm-hmm. long-term birth control. We're trying to do the right thing. And again, shit happens. It just happened. So I still go, but I don't know at this point, right? Cause it's like literally four days. Women don't usually find out they're pregnant for, you know, literally variable, amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're lucky, maybe you can know within six weeks, but that can kind of be happenstance sometimes. So I get the IUD no matter what, because th- as far as I'm concerned, I'm not pregnant. They test you, they give you pregnancy test before they place it to make sure so early that that didn't show anything. Um, and I go on about my merry way. Well, by the time I found out that I was pregnant, by the time I went to Planned Parenthood, Typically when you have an IUD, it hangs, there's like strings that hang out that you can pull. So like if you ever needed to have it removed or, you know, when it's, I think they're good for like three or five years, like you just pull them out. Mm -hmm. Well, the, where this pregnancy had grown, it had pulled the strings like up into my uterus. Mm. So where I had gone to this appointment thinking I was going to get just like, you know, the medication that you, I think it's methotrexate, I might be getting that wrong, where they give you medication and you kind of just like pass the pregnancy because they couldn't get that IUD out that I no longer had that option. Hmm. So at this point, it is, I think for me, it was already eight weeks. So again, if it's Texas, I already can't get it. I already have to go through with it. But because they couldn't get that IUD out, I had to make another appointment. I had to drive like an hour away to a different clinic on a different day. Keep in mind, I'm telling my job that I'm just sick today because I'm certainly not going to be honest with them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have to make up another lie to get out of work like two weeks later. And it it was a surgical abortion because they had to be able to get this IUD out at the same time. They they were just like, we'll just do it together for you. And I'm like, cool. I don't know anything. And when I tell you, that this felt like somebody was ripping my body in half this was the most painful procedure i've ever had and i was an Mm -hmm. athlete so i've had plenty of injuries you know i know what pain is like that makes you want to actually like just vomit but this this like procedure was so painful and they don't really it's an outpatient clinic so they don't really have any you know they they, think they shot me with like lidocaine in the cervix which is its own thing but that (laughs) did nothing for the way that they had to basically wrench my cervix open. My, my long-term giving you all these details is just to let you know how traumatic this experience was. Mm -hmm. So it was traumatic because it didn't work in my first appointment. I had to make a second appointment. I had to do all this shit to jump through hoops, to even get the thing. I went alone because my boyfriend had, you know, financial issues, could not support a trip from where he was to where I was. And at the same time, And then there's all this physical pain aspect where I literally, they gave me a number at the end of the appointment. And they're like, if you have any complications, feel free to call us, whatever. I get home. I make it home. Like almost again, had to drive like 45 minutes to an hour, almost the whole way before feeling kind of uncomfortable. And then by the time I was home alone, um, I had such painful like cramping that I actually thought that I was like, I thought I was like going to start hemorrhaging. So I ended up calling the number being like, I think I'm going to die. And now fast forward when I do finally have a kid. Like I probably know what a contraction at least kind of feels like at this point, but like, (laughs) again, you have no, nobody prepares you for this experience. Yeah. And so to just kind of wrap this up, I ended up, I ended up kind of spending the next week, you know, you're kind of, you bleed for a long time. And I just happened to have joined another church. When I moved back to this, again, started this job, moved to a new neighborhood. I had started going to church and I had been in this welcome group where for about six weeks we would go and have like a little kind of like club with the pastor and he would introduce us not only to the church but also to the faith and I had nothing else to do so like this will be fun the week after I got this abortion was the week we talked about pro-life in this church group keep in mind I'm the youngest person in this church group the only other people who do this kind of shit are like in their 50s (laughs) and (laughs) I sat in this room still bleeding as one by one these old white people went around saying that abortion was murder and i in hindsight i must have dissociated like to a certain extent because or this is when i like to think like this was god like this is when god shows himself to you or herself whatever you prefer because the pastor pulled me aside at the end and looked i swear like through me through to my soul through my eyes and he said just so you know just because some people have opinions that doesn't mean they're always right
0: mm.
1: and like of course went to my car burst into tears like because it was just such a moment for me but yeah. i also was just like it was affirming that like hey this isn't and i'm not somebody that necessarily walks around and like is like oh i'm sinning today but it kind of just reminds you that like you can do what you want for yourself and that's all that matters and so the, the nuance that I'm trying to bring to this conversation is just the fact that as pro-choice as I am, as little as I regret that decision, cause I would, as, as terrible as it was, I would do it again and again and again for the life that I was able to have. But that was the most traumatic thing I've ever dealt with. Mm. And so for anyone to think that like a pro-choice person is, you know, a baby killer or a, uh, you know, you're, you're pro-abortion, you're a murderer, you're this, you're that, you don't care. You're going to go out and just be slutty and whatever happens, happens. It's like such a mischaracterization of these kind of situations. And, Mm -hmm. and it's a mischaracterization of what it is like to get an abortion because nobody wants to get an abortion. Nobody wants to even have to choose that. And after you do it, you're still dealing with grief. You are grieving the loss of that pregnancy that you wish you could have kept, but you didn't. Um, so that's my story. Um, it's one of those things it's like, how do, you, how do you move on from that? But I just think it's important to remember that like, these are not simple issues. They're yeah. very important, but they're not simple. And mm-hmm. so when you look at a heartbeat bill like Texas or the ones that have been you know, tried to been passed in Ohio and I think probably like, let me not throw states under the bus that didn't do it, but it, a lot of states that have tried to pass bills like this, these six week heartbeat bills, you are not just creating situations that are untenable for families and for women, but you're also just communicating that you don't care about people. You don't care about women and their lives and their challenges. So how can you call yourself pro-life? Yeah. Steps down from soapbox.
0: (laughs) Maddie, um, one, thank you for being willing to share your truth. Um, You touched on it at the beginning of the podcast and that, people don't talk about this and are ashamed to not talk about this. And I think for good reason, because of the complexity of what you're describing. And as a society, we need to do better around normalizing these conversations because it isn't just a, yeah, that's I, you know I slept around and did a thing, whatever, just getting rid of my mistake. Like that's not what people are doing. Like that's not, that's not what's happening here. You know, that's not, forcing somebody to feel ashamed to have a conversation around it just makes it harder for the next person that is in a situation similar to you Maddie in you know talking about the trauma around giving birth you know I, I full transparency I didn't know a lot of people that gave birth to babies until like you, you know you're 30 and then you hear people that are like oh my god my taste buds have changed my my body's changed my hormones have changed like this isn't just a simple thing that happens to your your body you have something living inside of you and oh let me tell you real quick, just cause again, I had to go an extra few weeks. So I made it to like 11 weeks
1: when I tell you that your, ta- your smell changes. So Jen, I thought for sure that there was something dead in my refrigerator for like a month <laughs> and I was like desperate to find it. And, and I was like, no, there's something in here. This whole house stinks. It's terrible. And then I talked to my coworker and she was like, oh yeah, I made my husband rip up our carpet when I was pregnant because I was convinced it was like mildew. So yeah, it's like the thing, and nobody teaches you these things, yeah. these symptoms of pregnancy. I was falling asleep every day at 2 p.m., not waking up until like seven, and then like tearing my refrigerator apart because I thought that something died in it. Like it's, it's <laughs> insane how deeply pregnancy affects, you know, your regular norm being. Yeah. Nobody has respect for that.
0: Yeah. Or talks about it, or, you know, I just think, the issue, not an issue, but the gift of life that women can provide is not just this simple thing. It impacts deeply of, you know, like you're saying, giving birth to a baby is traumatizing. Um, If you lose the baby, that's traumatizing. If you need to make a decision for your life, like you had to make Maddie, that is traumatizing and grief doesn't stop. And if we turn it into this black or white equation that a bill that can decide what is true. And thank you for reframing it too, of not being pro-life, but pro-choice. Like This is your body, your future, your life that you have to reckon with and decide how you want to do things. And what we're saying is that women don't matter in those scenarios. What we're saying is that they shouldn't have the opportunity to make that choice. And let's be honest here. They're going to make that choice. It's just not going to be safe. They're going to go somewhere else to do it.
1: So yes, if I could speak now as a public policy person for a few seconds, it's just the fact that when you're also trying to legislate for mass, you know, a a, a large society of people, it's irresponsible to try to do that from one perspective or one ideology. So again, Mm -hmm. if you're, if you consider yourself a pro-life person, I would, I truly would never try to change your mind. It's not my business. I respect that. When I was young, I even said like, Hey, cool for other people probably would never do it but then look at what happened right so it's like the the important thing though is, is as a responsible policymaker as a congressperson as you know the leader of the free world which we got to do away with that cuz i don't like the way that sounds anymore but like <laughs> you have to understand you have to understand that when you make these decisions they have serious implications mm-hmm. and you have to be able to prepare for those latent consequences so mm-hmm. when you take access to abortion away and thereby you know possibly not only in forcing some women to have babies that they don't want which then you know who knows what that implications that has for the foster system or you know child abuse or that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but um women who still are determined to get abortions which happens in the past and it also happens in other countries yeah they go out and they seek you know unhealthy ways of doing that or uh, illicit back alley ways of doing that. And then you're just increasing the mortality rate of women. Mm -hmm. So I hate to keep pointing fingers at Republicans, but unfortunately they're the group that keeps trying to do this. Like if you care so much about family values and you care about, you know, the rate of, of live births that we have, because that's been a thing lately where, and it's probably COVID related among plenty of other things, but like our, you know, women of our generation are having babies at the, at older ages and then also kind of at lower rates people are having mm-hmm. fewer children in their family and if you care about raising that then like why would you want to institute a policy that then is probably going to increase you know mortality rates of women and it, it, disparately we can't forget too these are disparately impacting marginalized groups so mm-hmm. black maternal health is already mm-hmm. black women are 3 to 4 times more likely already to die of childbirth in childbirth than white women
0: mm-hmm.
1: If you create these barriers to access, you know, you know, avoiding that situation. Hey, I am not willing to go through with this. Black and Hispanic women already have, you know, disproportionately less great healthcare. Right. What's less great? That's a terrible way of saying that. But they <laughs> have just a
0: quality healthcare.
1: Quality healthcare. And importantly, we don't, you know, we don't want to look at these groups as monolithic either, but it's just, yeah. when you look at the group, it's, it's disproportionate. So disproportionate access to, um, like low-income options, like Planned Parenthood,
0: mm-hmm.
1: all of these attacks on various things you're, you're trying to do away with federal funding for Planned Parenthood, which does not fund abortions, by the way, I'll say it again. There is no federal funding that supports abortion care in this country. It's not real. That's a few years old. That's scandal, but that is not a thing that happens. But when you do that, then you're just, you know, you're, you're creating greater and greater health disparities across races, across classes, and all of these things, as we mentioned at the beginning, then tie into other things. Mm -hmm. So women who don't have access to abortion, um, you know, if they, if they have children, then you need affordable childcare Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: almost doesn't exist for anyone right now. Right. Um, when you, in the COVID era, have women that are leaving the workforce because they don't have child co- child care as a result of the pandemic. Um, you know, you're taking away a segment of the workforce that that meaningfully contributes to all sorts of fields. So mm-hmm. I think we we talk about kind of uh, your caretaking roles like nursing or teaching or admin support, which are still disproportionately women. Um, when you no longer have that workforce, almost nothing is going to run you know, like those are the the backbone of the economy, those type Mm -hmm. of positions. But even beyond that, when you have, you know, already fewer women in STEM or fewer women at higher levels uh, in business, you know, your fortune 500 companies, there are women at those levels as well who who have left the workforce. Um, And I don't have good data in front of me, but, you know, anybody who's interested, there's been a lot of coverage on this kind of great resignation, but disproportionately how the great resignation has affected women. And as a result, we're we're all suffering, but these are all, all these issues are connected. Everything is connected is I guess my, my thesis.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, going from how we not only marginalize certain groups and certain women, but then looking at how, not just from um, a workforce standpoint, but you're also talking from an economic standpoint. And then also like modeling behavior, like what do we put in our medias? What do we put in our movies? Um, how do we talk about certain women? How do we know, how have we normalized talking down to women and treating women a certain way? And just, you know, all of this is not benign. You know, the reason why it's really easy to attack women's rights is because we, we, we do that and how we c- calling is attacking a woman. <laughs> like yeah. you, you're, it, it is, it is the same coin, just the other side. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to talk about this for men and we could decide, well, that guy is a, you know, this is a really bad graphic example, but I'm just gonna be honest, like if that guy's a rapist. And so then we just, you know, take care of that and, you know, snip his whatever, like that would be an outrage, right? That would be yeah. like, why would we do something like that? But how is that much different than, you know, I mean, maybe it's not the same thing, but I just, I don't know how else to, to compare it, to make somebody see how ridiculous, it is that you're not allowing a woman to have control of her body and that we live in a culture that continuously feeds that agenda in how yeah. we look at women, how we promote women. Um, you know, going like you're saying to the COVID era, how disproportionately women are the ones taking care of their families in these scenarios. They're doing the teaching, they're doing the cooking, they're just, you know, uh, it just makes me. When I think about the endless ways that all of it is completely intertwined I do not know how more folks are not outraged you you have if you're born you have a mother if you were born you have a mother (laughs) how are you not pissed off at the very least if not a wife a sister an aunt how this is a problem for you too
1: yeah and that's yeah that's like literally the least we can ask for I think what's what's more reasonable is just like hey women are people just like you, like that should, that should be all that matters. But if you can't get there, then yes, just think about somebody that you love that is also a woman and that should be enough to get you going. But I do, I do think about, um, you know, I guess it's worth acknowledging is that I think that some of the argument that, that undergirds pro-life people is, and I'm going to try to articulate this as best as I can, of course, is that they, they consider, pregnancy to be different in the sense that there is quote unquote another person involved so where i want to be careful is where people like you and i jen and like anybody else who is kind of up on uh i don't not even just social justice but just like the way that kind of social systems work Mm -hmm. the supreme court in roe v wade the reason that roe v wade was kind of you know monumentous not just for the fact that it gave women the constitutional right to abortion but it also has has kind of formulated that that a fetus is not a person, yeah. and that's what that's what conservatives push back or pro life people rather push back on. I understand that argument, and I also try to be careful just saying like, well, because the court said it, it's right. Because historically, the the Supreme Court has said plenty of things that were not, you know, positive to yeah. use like a just a, a light term, but you know, like the courts have reaffirmed segregation. The courts have um, reaffirmed, uh, you know, like race-based science, that kind of thing. So to say, so I understand that people think that the Supreme court was like aired in, in saying that a, a fetus isn't a person. Um, so there from there, I look toward the like medical science and what doctors tend to say is that, you know, a pregnancy that is not viable outside the womb is not a person. So whether you believe in the, like, you know, it's a clump of cells theory or not, you sh- we have to, you know, as a society, we have to kind of draw the line on this somewhere, right? That's how we mm-hmm. form policy. And mm-hmm. historically where we have drawn that line is that a uh, pregnancy that is, would not be viable outside the body of its mother cannot be given personhood. Um, and as long as that is kind of our, I think that's the big issue with the Texas law. Right now, we don't consider a, you know, a, a fetus, a person beyond, you know, before a number of weeks. And also women are free from the undue burden that is placed on them for abortion access. I pro- I, there's a better language in that, but undue burden is the operative term there. Mm-hmm. And so the problem with Texas and other bills like that is that it's placing uh, a burden on a woman's constitutional right to access abortion in the sense that you know, it's not a reasonable time frame for her to get one. Um, there are other states that have been held accountable because they have, you know, they've created laws that like minimize the number of clinics that can operate. They use these very specific things, like you have to be tied to a hospital, you have to have this number of rooms, or you know, whatever, whatever. And any of those things that are basically just like create too much resistance to the access is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. So, based on again, it's very crazy that the Supreme Court even allowed this Texas law to kind of go through the way that it already has. But now they're they're rehearing the case on November 1st and we'll see what happens as a result of that. But as far as our understanding of existing precedent, this law creates undue burden. So it can't it's unconstitutional in that way. Mm-hmm. But we also have a, you know, we have a conservative court right now and things are, society is different right now. So I'm trying not to get myself, you know, to believe, I'm not an attorney, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm trying not to believe that I know exactly what's happening, but um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah. I appreciate you Maddie because you're somebody that I go to often when I'm trying to understand policy in terms that makes sense to me because I that just legalese sometimes over my head and so I appreciate you taking the time to break that down because I think that's really important of what the actual issue is here inside of it it's not just you know the 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 news cast of like a single sentence of Texas anti abortion it's it's much more than that right there's there's layers and layers and layers inside of that single phrase
1: and, and these, these words matter. So when, right. you know, when pro-life people say you're a murderer, um, murder is a legal term, right? Like, so murder constitutes an act that involves a person. If we're not giving a fetus you know, before this certain level, this you know, viability period uh, personhood, then you legally cannot murder it. Right. Like, these are the things that, and again, I understand, I get too deep into this stuff. Like, this is just the stuff that I do for a living. I find <laughs> interesting. Like most people don't care about these little nuanced things, but they do matter when, if you're trying to understand like why certain things are actually happening the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, makes the Texas law passing kind of like nonsensical um, based on what we have already known, but it is, it matters. And so I, I say that believe that a fetus is the person because i don't have an i don't have stake in that um it's more just like well here's what the real world does though so like what if i'm trying to quote unquote change any minds it's not it's not ideological it's just like i just want us to get into a point where we're where, you know, there's parity between what we think and what we say and how the system is designed to work right now, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no. And I think what I love that you are willing to have this conversation, Maddie, is that you're able to bring both your work into this and your personal story and then give context to why words matter, why this conversation matters and to put a human story behind it. You know, like Mm -hmm. you can say, oh, you know, like you were talking about, you know. So I think as women, we think about this probably more often than we we realize, on a conscious or an un- con- unconscious or not is, w- if I were raped, what would I do? What would my choice be? If something did happen, a mistake happens. You know, you know, you know. It's not that you're trying to be uh, slutty or whatever. That if if mistakes happen, you're a person, like everything can't be perfect. You can't do it all right, and the burden becomes on the woman, right? And so I appreciate you sharing the context of your own human story, because I don't think I think if you think it's just this black and white thing, that's so wrong. You know, I've I've heard of folks that have had um, weren't expecting to get pregnant. They were on birth control and they were also on a medication that was really dangerous to carry a baby. And so that could have other issues. You know, we have science now that we can look at genetic codes and DNA of children that could have problems and developmental issues. And that's a conversation that I can't decide for you, but you should have the choice to decide what you want to do inside of that, you know? And, absolutely, you know, again, there's, the are really extreme ones that we've been taught our whole, I think I, in a society is like, oh, rape. And there's like, this idea around also that could be a simple solution and it's not because there's trauma inside of the fact the, of that situation in itself, not to mention the pregnancy inside of that. It, this is, it is. And I, and I, and I, I'm trying to I tread lightly and I'm not trying to make this like just words and like human situations that just that aren't triggering and that don't have a, a, a wealth of trauma for so many folks but at the very least, can we not shame people around their story? Can we allow space for people to be able to share and explore and not be afraid to figure out what might be best for them at the very least?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that it's funny because I, I mean, anybody who's like, knows me personally or follows me somewhere on social media, like I'm a very open person. And that's why I'm, I obviously I'm telling the story. I'm not ashamed of this story. Like I'll tell anybody who who has an inkling about it or heard about it, wants to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there I've always been hesitant to like shout about it on social media because that, because when you do it in a way that creates a lot of distance from your story to the person who's receiving it, it just, I've always, I don't, I guess, I guess fear is probably the right word, Um, it just opens the door for misunderstanding and kind of misattribution of like my intentions or what Mm -hmm. happened or the detail. So, you know, I'm, I have a public Twitter that I talk about really anything on almost. And then um, I'm pretty open on Instagram though. I usually keep that private, Um, but I have a lot of people that I know would call themselves pro-life. So I usually have never moved to tell the story because I just don't want to necessarily be confronted with like, for lack of a better term, like these kind of uninformed, very strong opinions about it. Yeah. Anyone who wants to have a meaningful conversation or who really wants to know more about like what I experienced, I would never shy away from that. Um, but again, it really kind of, the whole issue boils down to two things for me. And it's it's first, it's recognizing the responsibility of, of policymakers to, to kind of create space for people to live freely. And then it's that hip, kind of hypocritical perspective of pro-life people, or at least commonly conservative pro-life people, who, who want to base their argument on the fact that a, a fetus is a person, and that that's, that's the overarching reason why these laws make sense, when really these laws in just encroach on our women's personal freedoms in ways that conservatives otherwise would you know, kind of back so that's the whole, that's every, pretty much every conservative idea is like, well, I have the freedom to carry guns because it's, you know, the constitution says that I can, it's like, okay, I, I, we can talk deeply about that in different ways, but like overarching, I accept that. So in the same way, it's like, well, if, if I, as a human should also have freedoms to do things in my life, the way that I want, and that, you know, our anti-mask, anti vax are like the latest iteration of that perspective from conservatives but how can you then tell me that i have to go and live this whole life that i don't want to live Mm -hmm. um and that then their answer usually hinges again on the like well that we're prioritizing the life of that baby that unborn baby and they paint this picture of innocence for the unborn baby but again at the time that abortions are offered even before you know crazy laws like this one Um, they're still not viable pregnancies outside of the womb. So we're late term abortions are, are highly, highly uh, regulated. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I couldn't find my word for a second. Uh, And the people that are getting late term abortions are ones who are people who have those, like those tragic cases of finding out that their child is like missing a chromosome or something, or has some Mm -hmm. congenital defect that, you know, they're going to suffer when they're born. Um, Mm -hmm. Anybody who might be interested in extra information on that, aspect particularly there's a documentary called after tiller that is really really good um it's about uh i forget the man's first name but dr tiller was an abortion provider who was uh murdered in his church he was like execution style while he was praying and um the documentary is just follows kind of like after his death basically how his practice one of the very few late-term abortion providers in the country like and then but you learn all about like you know, the nuances of these cases. And that's, what's important again, to put that human aspect on it. You, when you're talking about outlawing abortion, you're talking about married couples who want children, who have these tragic, absolutely like grief stricken decisions to make. Yeah. Um, and that's why we have to be responsible when we create laws and we create policy, because when you brought, when you paint too narrowly, um, you're kind of, you're getting these people caught up And just, you're just compounding their pain. Um, And if you're human, like that should matter to you alone. Like I know it would to me. So I know there's so many like legs to this. Of course, I'm sure we could talk forever about it, but yeah, stop there.
0: I I really appreciate you also reframing and redirecting around the content of shame because I think when you can share in the human story and, and invite people to ask questions, I think that also adds an, a, what word am I looking for pushes back against the the story of being meek and you shouldn't share certain things and I appreciate your bravery of being like no I'll share like I'm here for it that's if you want to have an adult conversation and you you want to understand more because you, you haven't been in the same position or you don't have all the understanding and context I really appreciate you being there for that conversation about it, because I think that's part of the gap that happens is that there isn't this, um, ability to meet with grace inside the conversation to get some stuff wrong and to mm-hmm. ask really hard questions and, um, do it in a way that still honors the person across from you's humanity and their human story. And, you touch on it too, about like the complexity of being a woman too, is like, I think about, um, you know, the Me Too movement and women aren't believed, like people don't believe you. They, and, and can we stop doing that too? Like, can we, can we, I guess what I'm getting back to is I just feel like oftentimes this burden is on women and it, I, I, maybe that's, you know, I, I we joked at the beginning of this that we are the backbone of the society. As women, we are carrying everybody strong. And um, but <sighs> women can't just be having these conversations with women. You know, we need to be having conversations around for men too, and, and to look at this holistically because you have you have ownership in parts of this too. You 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 are part of the conversation as well. And you you mentioned in our conversation, Maddie, about. Um, I think you call that waves of feminism. Is that correct?
1: Yes, there are three so okay. far, at least. Uh,
0: uh, f- go ahead. Yeah, sorry.
1: I was just gonna say the first one is like, I think old timey for lack of a better term, like old timey, like, uh, like women's suffrage era mm. and then like the 70s was a second wave which it was more like you're gonna respect us outside of sexuality and now the third wave is like i'd like to refer to it as the cardi b wave the <laughs> Nicki minaj wave of like i'm gonna i'm gonna almost put my vagina in your face and you're gonna accept it because this is what i decided to do
0: yeah yeah
1: that's the distillation of the third wave
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but i i wanna I, I i hope that men are willing to sit in this conversation and um be able to see the human side of that and i and again to be fair un, not in their defense but like we also didn't really i mean we had separate sex ed which is stupid we should have had sex ed at the same time we should have normalized this you know who and what we are because i think yeah it, like like tampons and like simple things about femininity
1: oh <laughs> no you are you are literally delivering me to the t- tongue-in-cheek joke I was going to make which is that like just men have absolutely no idea and again I agree it's not their fault but they have no idea like about anything that women deal with and the best example it was a trend on TikTok like a few months ago where women were asking men how like how we would wear pads and men thought that the sticky part of a pad was the part that touches your body what? they did not know that it <laughs> that the pad Sticks to your underwear, and they're the funniest videos. If you haven't seen these, but you do have a TikTok, please search for them. They're hilarious, and these men are like genuinely shocked, but you know, interested. They want to learn, but we just, as a society, we don't teach them these things probably until they're like getting ready to be fathers, which is too late, honestly, way too late, way
0: too late. Oh, that makes me think of um. Have you ever seen the videos when they they um? Put uh, like stim machines on men to stimulate uh, either menstrual cycles or birth. Have you seen? (laughs) They're hilarious. (laughs) And they're crying. These dudes are crying like, what? This is what you feel. Yeah, our whole body is sabotaged for a week every month. It's the worst. That's why I don't
1: want to necessarily keep all this stuff, like, you know, solemn and serious where it can be, but it's also very funny. Like there, and again, I I have hope for future generations that are this, this divide, I think it's slowly getting better. And I think we're slowly getting to the point where like, Hey men. And I, I, you know, I encourage anyone in a relationship to have these conversations, particularly when it, you know, involves a man that like. Talk to each other about if you were to have an unwanted pregnancy or or an unexpected pregnancy, like what your plan would be or what his opinion is. These are things that are not just important for if it happens, but also for like, you know, that just knowing about that person, perhaps Um, being aware of kind of the, the work the um, division of work in the household and like what that looks like for you or what, or like, cause I say stuff to Nick all the time. I'm like, like again with the whole Pete Buttigieg is a pussy for taking paternity leave. I I texted him that I was like, listen, if you, any, if any of these words in this tweet are something you agree with, like, please, I need you to tell me right now before we make this like any more official than it already is. Because (laughs) like, these are things that like we just need to, we just need to talk, more about because guess what if I have a kid like I am not a morning person I'm going to need you to take some sort of like morning like shift on this right and like those are things that I hope that people can kind of have talk about beforehand now granted I know relationships are all different but yeah I do recommend I don't want to yeah, say teaching. It's men, talking. It sounds like talking so condescending. Finan-
0: it's like talking about finances, or or do, like where do you want to live, or buying a house, like where do you want to invest your money? Like, these are really important things, and if you just yeah. have an assumption, you're setting yourself and your relationship up to fail. And having a conversation about what does it mean to have a tiny human in your house, like <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: Like, I mean, oh, <laughs> there's a reason I don't yet. It's because <laughs> I
1: understand it too well.
0: Right. <laughs> And that's what I, I really appreciate you being willing to be on this com- um, podcast and have this conversation around Maddie, because these are topics people don't really talk about. It's like taboo to talk about it. And I don't know why that is. I just feel like if we, if we don't normalize these conversations, we're going to have false assumptions about what happens when somebody has a period and what it's like <laughs> to have a tiny human in your house and what it means to have that conversation with your partner, you know, yeah. and if you aren't having that conversation with your partner i think you re- make a really valid point because that's a that's that's a huge conversation right well
1: and there's you know i think i any because i i babysit occasionally so it's like that's how i get most of my intel here but like i yeah. think about as <laughs> you know single parents like hats off to you i don't know how you do it but mm-hmm. you don't get enough credit if anything they get nothing but shame which is just yeah. abhorrent because they probably, I mean, obviously they do more work than most people, but then even for people who have like two parent households or in relationships, you know, the other thing I've come to understand just from listening to people is your relationship will be greatly affected by having a child. Mm -hmm. And so it's like recognizing the difference, you know, in your partner, what your partner needs and, or not taking just maybe simply as like, Hey, those first few weeks of postpartum, you know, we know that a woman's hormones literally the minute she gives birth, just like plummet. And that affects a lot of things and she's yep. gonna just be crying in the corner and you know what maybe if you go get her like her favorite fast food or something like that's something that you can do and so that was the thing about the pete Buttigieg judge conversation that was so crazy is it was these men who have children who who said basically like yo you know there's not a lot for men to do in those first few weeks anyway so <laughs> and, and like Women were were responding, and they were like, Oh my God, we we need to check on his wife. Is she okay? Like, because it's just it's absolute nonsense that you think yeah. that there's not a shared, you know, role here. But again, these are then the same p- people who advocate for things like heartbeat abortion bills. Like it was just like, make it make sense. Yeah. Make it make sense.
0: Yeah, it's like a vicious cycle. I feel like what we're like going in the the there is this this multiple like you know, this wheel on a bicycle, all these different cogs. You have economic impact on women, you have social impact on women, you have gender role issues inside of women. And then, you know, you throw in all this. It's just there's so many parts, and mm-hmm. we can look at each part individually and just see where am I feeding into something that might not be progressing as forward in a way that's purposeful and true? And what can I do? Yeah to make sure that I'm having more engaging conversations that maybe aren't focused on absolute statements or try to learn the human story of why someone made that choice or didn't make that choice and just be better about taking care of each other, because this isn't an easy thing to talk about at all. You know, I mean, you, at the beginning, you made a valid point talking about women and like the different things that happen when you become pregnant and all the hormones. And, um, we don't talk about that. We don't, you know, I I think I've heard a lot of women that had babies later in their thirties and they're like, I was not prepared. People do not talk about what happens to your body when you give birth, what it's like to have postpartum, what it is like to try to figure out what your needs are and to know I have a tiny human in my house. My relationship with myself is about to change. My relationship with my partner is about to change. Their relationship with themselves is about to change. And then you're both trying to love a human in the best way possible, with all the tools that you've gathered up to this point in your life to be able to do so—that's a lot of shit. Yeah,
1: and a, and I don't think a lot of people, or like historically, I don't. You, to your point, we don't put a lot of social pressure on like thinking about it that way. You—it's yeah. just you're told it's just what happens. That's what just do. what you do. You get married. That's what
0: you do. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Yep. And and I also just like to, and I, again, I told you, we can talk about this for so long. So stop me whenever you want, but <laughs> I also just want to draw attention to like, in these different po- differing policy perspectives, like there's just inherent racism yeah. and ethnocentrism here because mm-hmm. I read a good blog post the other day, which was very casual. So I don't know if I would necessarily say like, everybody should read this. Cause it was just like something like I would write on a random afternoon, but it was pointing <laughs> out like this hypocrisy of particularly. Republicans again, sorry to keep coming at them, but it was the hypocrisy of Republicans who want to say that, you know, you pretty much at any juncture that they can, they want to draw attention to like fatherless households. Mm -hmm. And when typically when we refer to fatherless households, we usually are talking about black households. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's this kind of judgment, Like, how dare you, you know, leave your children, you're a piece of shit. There's there's that narrative that's been around for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, But then at the same time, again, I just haven't gotten over Pete Buttigieg. So I'm going to keep bringing it up. You don't think that it's a role for a man to take part in paternity leave. Yep. So it was like, the woman was writing it. She was like, so I need to know what you guys, what, which one is it? Like, do we think. think that, yeah. Is it like, is it being a father is pussy or being a father or like, you know, avoiding being a father is like, you're a piece of shit because it's, you got to take, it's either, it's either great to do it or it, it's not important. Um, and one or the other has to be true. I'd like to think that there's a nice middle ground, but I don't know. They tend to be kind of extremist in that. Um,
0: yeah,
1: but yeah. So, the, and then like, you know, of course the implications of whichever position that is then, you know, has impact on, on how we're viewing women too. But I, I, a few years ago, this is probably, I want to say it was like 2014. I read a study that came out about like, you know, time spent with children, like father's time spent with children. And again, just going back to this kind of like these stereotypes that we have about households that don't have fathers, which are not, I just, I'm not even convinced that that's like entirely real. Um, But when you broke it down by race, it was actually white fathers spent the least amount of time with their children of any (laughs) racial group. And like, that's why it stuck with me because it is so counterintuitive, but like to our narrative that we create, but what it really came down to was like, you know, if the, if the rates of double parent households in white families are maybe like higher than other racial groups, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're creating like meaningful time with your children. Yeah, And that's where we then have that kind of that work division of work split or division of childcare split, where it might be the mother, like spending more of the time with the kids or, you know, doing the household stuff whereas like black fathers actually spent the most amount of time of the sample like with their children. Mm-hmm. So you know, it could be and I'm and there's such a wormhole to get into like the sociology of marriage and you yeah. know child development. So I don't necessarily intend to go down there, but it's just I think the moral of all of this story is just like whatever you think you know and whatever you think your opinion is like just make sure that it's informed because there's plenty of stuff out there that you can like learn about. And I literally, if if learning wasn't a thing, I wouldn't have a reason to live. So that's why I do all of this. Like that's why I read everything. Just because mm-hmm. it's like my favorite thing of all time.
0: Yeah. But and um, expanding on the best version of you. You know, you're taking your human experience and expanding and expanding and expanding it. You know, I I think of it kind of like um uh like a like a sphere of you know, you have this core essentialness of who you are based off of your human experience of things outside of your control, things that were in your control. And you're just expanding that worldview and trying to connect the dots of all the ways all of this shit is connected. It's all connected. And um, I really appreciate you bringing in that study around fathers too, because let's be honest, and I, I, I'm going to speak and I, uh, for myself here, is as you were speaking the initial thing in my head was you're going to talk about black fathers as soon as you said it. And I knew it. And like, that is a bias that comes into our brains. And just, I hope throughout this conversation, because I'm sure it stirred up things for different people. Just look at that for a second. Look at what that's, what that's showing you. Is it, is that a true narrative? Just get curious about it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but using conversations like this, the human story, listening to people that have knowledge around policy like Maddie, and just let it not make you wrong. Just be curious about how you might be able to expand on what you already know and invite other people into that conversation as well, because we all have biases. Even when you're in a conversation that you think you're not having biases around, they're showing up for us all the time. Yeah.
1: yeah. which is, And if you remember, that's what I talked about in my first episode too. It's yeah, just, It's being willing to do the work, but being a little hard on yourself to, you know, question whether you're doing it well enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, these are all conversations you can have with yourself. You don't have to have them on social media. You don't have to have them with your family. You don't, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving's coming up. I'm going to probably <laughs> fight at the table. I don't know about you guys, but um, yeah. yeah, it's all self-involved work. Yeah,
0: for sure. Oh, this was awesome, Maddie. I appreciate you again, um, sharing your knowledge of your work and um, your own personal story and how that intertwines. And just, I think, painting this really holistic view of an issue that we make it very pro-choice, pro-life. And it's not just that. And I just thank you for taking the time to be able to share in the complexity, especially in your own human story of, of this issue and and, you know, to put a microscope on language and certain things that we need to evaluate before we, um, put people into a, uh, into a category of this is what they're doing and this is wrong and this is right and all that other stuff. So I just, um, I'm just really grateful for you to take the time to be able to share.
1: Well, and thank you. And let me just say that, again, I haven't shared the story before. So providing me a platform to even have this, I made the joke after our last time that, you know, it's, it, this feels like therapy. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I thank you for this opportunity to share my story for the first time and I'm happy to do it here.
0: Yeah, I guarantee, um, you know, hearing your story and just hearing and just knowing you, Maddie, is I just walk away with a full heart and feel incredibly grateful. And I'm, I'm sure that there's a woman out there or maybe a, um, a partner out there that's wife, mother, sister, somebody had a similar experience and maybe they didn't know all the language. Maybe they don't know how to ask the questions. Maybe they, they don't even know where to start. And so mm-hmm. maybe your story allowed for them to 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 have the courage to step into that and to, to lean into the little bit of the discomfort of asking some harder questions or trying to learn to understand and listen, not with the intent to reply, but listen to see a person wholly. So thank you for sharing. And I, I, I guarantee it's going to open up a conversation for someone somewhere. And for that, I'm grateful because that's just going to be a ripple into the world. And thank you. Just thank you.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I like uh, you had posted my Instagram before. I will make sure that you have that information again. I'll take myself off private for a little bit. So if anybody hears this and wants to reach out, please do. Um, I'll give you my Instagram and my Twitter. So happy to happy to engage with anyone who's interested.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Maddie, and thank you for being on Flexus with me again. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Hey y'all! I just want to do a quick reflection after my conversation with Buddy. Uh, you know, we, after we cut offline, we talked for at least another hour. And something that seemed to be a theme of that last bit is hoping that this conversation shows one the complexity of issues. These aren't just, you know, benign choices. Living in a silo, all the, the all of the ways we see and function and interact with the world is completely intertwined. And with that being said, because of that, we're always in a different space and spectrum. You know, I think about the idea of 100%, for example, the idea that you can give 100%. Your 100% isn't the same every single day. And when you can learn to allow yourself grace of my 100% today might have been my 50% from two days ago, but that's just what I had to give today. It was still my 100%. And if we look at how we see the world and how we identify and how we engage and make choices. We are all on that spectrum of what is our 100%. How much knowledge do I have? Where am I in my journey of life? What is the stories and narratives in my world that brought me to this place to begin with to see what I'm seeing the way that I see it. And you know, Maddie and I, after we stopped recording, discussed this spectrum of what it means to be a person that we aren't stationary in one spot. We are always trying to figure these things out. And I hope that this conversation with Maddie and I maybe expands your view of women's issues. Maybe it may allows you to see somebody you know that went through a circumstance that maybe you can offer them a little bit more grace. Maybe you're, you don't know your future and, and this is a tool that's helpful for you to maybe be able to make a decision. Whatever this meets you, I hope it's an invitation to allow yourself grace, tell all the people around you, Grace, and just to find a better way to expand your idea of what things are, because we always have uh, capacity to grow and to change that. And I'm just really grateful. My heart is so full of gratitude for Maddie and her story and just, man, the courage. And she's like, I'm not afraid to say her story, but man, that takes a lot of courage. And To be unapologetic about your truth and be able to share it with the world and with the hope that it's going to help someone that might have a similar story, that maybe it gives perspective to somebody that has a judgment, whatever that might be, wherever this is meeting you. One, I thank you for being here, coming into this with an open heart and open eyes, trying to better yourself, which therefore will inevitably better humanity. And thank you for Maddie for sharing. Because I think our stories matter. And even if one, one person is impacted by Maddie's story and the knowledge that she shared on this conversation around policy and language and you know the breadth of her work as well, if it impacts one person to me, that's, that's what this is about. And this is why it matters. So thank you to Maddie. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for choosing this journey. I know it's an active choice. It's something you flex every single day and you don't give up on it. And I just think this is how we walk each other home. This is this is how we see the future that we can envision, the, the, connect, the ways that we're connected that we know that, whether if we can name them or not, are inevitably true because it keeps coming up and showing up over and over in our lives. So thank you again to Maddie. Um, thank you all for being here. Take care of yourselves. Take care of the people around you. And I will see you all on the flip side.